Isn't it good to sing about Jesus? Isn't it good to sing truth? It just does us good, doesn't it? I'm just going to pray and just thank God and just ask for his spirit really just to help our hearts respond again to the truth of his word. Jesus, we love to sing your praises. We love the fact that you first loved us. Even while we were dead in our sin, you died for us. What an amazing truth. And Lord, here we are this morning. We say we are ready for you. We are, we're ready for you to speak into our hearts. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's your truth. And I just pray, may it really help us to see a bigger picture of you this morning, King Jesus, as we go through this new series. Lord, soften our hearts, Lord. Help walls to come down, Lord. I pray, will you do us good as we respond to you? Amen. Amen. Great. Well, we're starting a new series this morning. Woo! Called Jesus at the Center, Journeying Through the Gospel of John. Um, I'm really excited about it. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with the book of John. It's often the one that people are, are given when they're new Christians which uh, it's great, it's wonderful, but it's, there's a lot of depth in there as well. It's, it's one of the longest books in the New Testament, I think the fourth longest book in the New Testament. Um, so while we're not going to rush through it, we're not going to go through it verse by verse either, otherwise we'll probably be here for the next five years, but I really don't want us to rush through this. We're going to take our time um, there will be breaks along the way. We're going to have uh, various visiting speakers. We're going to break uh, for a, a, a mini-series over Christmas. And then we'll probably be back into John again in the new year. I really want us to immerse ourselves in this wonderful gospel of John. And I suppose really my prayer is, as, as we go through this, as we immerse ourselves in this, it's very simple that each one of us, each one of our lives... We'll, we'll simply become more Jesus-centered, where we sing songs like, all I am is yours, and it really is. All I am is yours, Jesus. I don't know about you, I, I tend to get very easily distracted. Um, Rob, my wife as well, everyone can probably testify, I do get very easily distracted. And uh, maybe I'm just the only one, but I find it's so easy to place other things at a higher priority, perhaps, than God. I find it very easy for other things to take my focus off Jesus. I think if we're all honest, I think we all find it very easy to get distracted by just the things of this life. The busyness of life. So often our eyes can get taken off Jesus and, and suddenly this insurmountable issue comes to the focus. Paying the rent, paying the mortgage, sorting out schools for, for our children. <laughs> That's a big one at the moment for us. Uh, relationship issues, work situations. All these things can, can distract us and take our eyes off the one who should be right center of our focus, the center of our life. So many things can edge themselves into center stage. I mean, for me, if I'm honest, this last year, the challenge has been to not let this building become the central focus, but to remember that this building is just a, it's just a resource, a wonderful God-given resource, but it's just a tool for God to use. This isn't the focus. He's the focus. And that's been the challenge to keep that. I don't know what your challenge has been over these last few 
weeks and months. But I think whatever it's been, we do need to be intentional to, to keep Jesus, to make sure Jesus has the central role in our lives. Because as, as we do that, as he becomes center stage, as he takes center stage, so his mission becomes our mission. His will becomes our will. Our wills line up to his. His people become our people. Church becomes a priority. Why? Because Jesus is central in my life. It's his body. It's his church. Things fall into place. Life works when Jesus is at the center of it. It's when strength comes. That's when peace comes. It's when unity comes. When there's unity, God commands a blessing. That's when breakthroughs come. So, so really, let, my heart is let's pray together that Jesus will increasingly be the center of this church and of our own individual lives. Amen? Amen. Wonderful. Okay, so why John's Gospel? Um, I've been wanting to go through a gospel for, for quite a, a while now as a church, and we've been praying about which one to pick, and uh, after some prayer, we, we decided on John. I mean, obviously, all the gospels tend to focus on Jesus. That's kind of what they're there for. They're the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospels. But um, whereas Mark, perhaps, is, is more like an action movie, it's, it's detailing all that Jesus did in a very punchy way. And perhaps Luke and Matthew uh, focus more on what Jesus said and what Jesus did. Perhaps Matthew focused more on why Jesus did and said what he said, particularly to the Jewish audience, linking Jesus back continually to Old Testament prophecies, saying, no, no, Jesus is the promised Messiah. That's the gist. And, and Luke gives this detailed, chronological, historical account of Jesus. John perhaps gets more to the heart of who Jesus really is. And, you know, the, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I mean, they, they share a lot of the same material. John, I think it's nearly 90% of John is unique. Perhaps that's because he knew Jesus better than most. He was the disciple Jesus loved, he was in Jesus' inner circle, along with Peter and James, of disciples. There was a, a depth of relationship with Jesus, perhaps that the others hadn't fully experienced to the same degree. A closeness, a love that comes through his writing. You know, probably all of us know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. We've been singing about it. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. There's this love that comes through John's writing because he was close to Jesus. And yet despite this familiarity with Jesus, uh, he was totally, without a shadow of a doubt, convinced of Jesus' divinity. That he was and is the Son of God. And that is a key theme that runs right the way through John's Gospel. John is a witness that Jesus was and is the Son of God. He was totally familiar with his humanity. And yet he was totally convinced of his divinity. He was and is God. So he knew Jesus better than most. Which is probably a, a unique factor in his Gospel. 
But there's also a, a cultural element that drew me to John's Gospel as well. And uh, John's Gospel was written, just as a bit of background really, before we get stuck in, John's Gospel was written around about 90 AD. Um, he was still in Ephesus. Just before he was uh, sent off to the Isle of Patmos, he was exiled there. This was just before that. And so the, the other Gospels have been in circulation for quite a while, about 20 years perhaps, even more. Maybe Mark's Gospel was probably written pre-AD 60. So these, Matthew, Mark and Luke, were, were, had been in circulation. People were reading them, people were talking about them, people knew them. And yet during that time, the, the cultural climate had changed considerably. The temple in Jerusalem had been totally destroyed in AD 70. There was a a wave of persecution. On top of that, the church was changing dramatically. Rather than it being centrally based in Jerusalem, because of persecution it had scattered, but also because of the success of all the missionary journeys. The church was now a a growing, spread out, multicultural, multi-ethnic. It was very diverse. And because of that, a lot of false teaching was creeping in as as different cultures, different traditions, different backgrounds were influencing the gospel. So there was a real challenge there for the church. There was rampant paganism at the time. And uh, on top of that, we, we also have another wave of persecution under Emperor Domitian, who was really pretty hardcore. With the Christians. So the church was facing massive challenges as John decides to put pen to paper. It's against this background that he decides to write his own eyewitness account. Not to, to repeat what Matthew, Mark, and Luke had done so brilliantly, but really to get people's focus back onto who Jesus really is. Who Jesus really is. To shine in uh, the light. Light and life is a, a key theme in, in John's gospel. John wants to, to shine a light into a dark world that in many ways is, reflects our own. A world full of conflicting and confused messages. A world where the gospel is facing massive opposition. And challenge, I mean, around the world especially, but particularly as well in the West, where the gospel just seems foolishness, totally un-PC. How can you believe that? How bigoted of you? We face massive challenges like they did, increasing opposition, confused ideas about who and what Jesus was. And John shines a light into this situation. In fact, he sums up why he writes his gospel towards the end in uh, chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's a very clear reason. This is why I've put pen to paper at this time. This is why, not to just go over the same stuff, but to shine a light on who Jesus is in a very confused and dark world. You know, that's John's desire to a church that's facing huge challenges. You know, he's saying, if you've been a Christian for a while, then I want to encourage you to look at Jesus again. 
to see him as the son of God, to see him as the source of life, to put aside all the stuff that distracts and keep focused on him. And and if you've yet to give your life to God, John's message to you is that he really is the way, the truth, and the life. And his prayer for you and our prayer for you as well is that God really shines his light through this gospel into your heart. I'm really excited about it. Let's get stuck in, shall we? Um, Let's go to John chapter 1. It's always a good place to start. If you've got your Bibles... Should come up on there. There we go. We're going to read actually um, right up to verse 18. John chapter 1, 1 to 18. I'm going to read this fairly slowly actually because I want the truth of these words to sink in. It's good to read scripture together, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, that's John the Baptist, He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came to witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness, We have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Incredibly rich passage of scripture there, a real depth there. So here's John, AD 90, scratching his head, thinking, how am I going to start my gospel? How am I going to engage with a diverse church, a church that's mainly made up of of Gentiles now, Greeks, by a far the majority now. How can I get this 
gospel out to a church that was facing massive challenges. Maybe he flicked through Matthew and Luke and saw how they started. And they go, they go straight to the birth of Jesus. Good place to start. Mark kind of cuts all that out and goes straight to the action. Jesus' baptism, start of Jesus' ministry. And it's like John decides, no, to, to really understand who Jesus is, you've got to go way back further, way back to before creation itself. It's almost like he's saying, let me give you a bigger picture of Jesus. He was there before the creation of the world. And he chooses to use this term, the word, or logos, as it is in the Greek. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. Jesus, the word. And, you know, in first reading, when we look at that, in the beginning was the word, it it can all sound a little bit out there to us, a bit ethereal, a bit kind of, ooh, yeah, what, you know, there was the word. What is, what is the word? Seems a bit strange to us, that sort of language. But to anyone with, with any knowledge of Old Testament scripture, they would immediately have recognized the parallel with Genesis, where all of creation was formed through the word of God. Through God's word, light came into the darkness. Anyone with a a, a background or or a familiarization with with Old Testament scripture would have immediately made that connection. They would have been familiar with this concept of God's word, this kind of God's active force through which his power and his authority is delivered through his word. They would have been familiar with scriptures like Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. There was something of substance to this thing called the word of God. Isaiah 55, the word of God will always always accomplish that to which he desires. It will never return to him void. They knew about this concept the word of God. And so, and so John really cleverly, in this opening section, immediately connects this, this well-known and familiar principle, if you like, of God's word, and he connects it directly to Jesus. In his first opening section, the word was with God and the word was God. Great passage to study about the Trinity of God, as as Rob was talking earlier this morning. We worship a God in three persons, one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Word that John later refers to as the Word that became flesh and names him as Jesus Christ was with God and the Word was God. Of course, if you knew Genesis 1, if you were familiar with that, you'd have known that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You've the whole of the Trinity involved in creation. Wonderful passage on the Trinity. It's a great passage if a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door. You know, take them to John 1, you know, because Jehovah's Witnesses and and others like to, to argue that Jesus wasn't God, that he was a created being. 
And you can just lovingly take them to John 1 and then, and then read through these, these scriptures. Take them to verse 3 and say, through this word, Jesus Christ, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In fact, that passage in Colossians 1.16 that I read out earlier on this morning is another great passage for this. To, to show that Jesus was there before the foundations of the world were even laid. And in fact, more than that, it was through him that creation came. However you look at it, Jesus was never created. Rather, through him, all things were created. He was with the Father from the beginning. And and this is what Jesus himself testified, wasn't it? When he was questioned by the religious leaders in John 8, John, John says that Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. How's that for an answer? I'm God, he's saying. Again, John 10, Jesus says, I am the Father, a one. I and the Father are one. To his disciples, he said, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And and the religious leaders understood exactly what he was saying. Again, in John 10, They say to him, just as they're about to try and stone Jesus, they said, look, it's not for all this lovely good work that you're doing that we're stoning you for, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, make yourself out to be God. They were very clear with what Jesus was saying. And John is just coming in here saying, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. He is divine. He's making that connection using this, this phrase, the word, the logos. You say, well, that's great. That's connected with the Jews who are now a minority in the church. What about those with a Greek background? What about those who have had no um, heritage with, with Israel, the people of God? What about them? Well, that's the genius of this phrase, of this opening line. Because Greek culture, too, had an understanding of this thing called the Logos. They had this understanding of the Word, for centuries, Greek philosophy had, had this idea that, the, that the, the world was held together by this, I suppose you could just best describe it as a divine force of reason and thought. The earth was held together by this principle of the logos. It held things in harmony. It held things in balance. This was the idea that was going around. It had been around for for centuries. In fact, the guy who kind of helped shape this way of thinking was was based in Ephesus. They had a concept of this thing called logos. They had no concept like the Jews had of God's words. And yet, John brilliantly brings these two totally different cultures together. And says, this logos, this word of God, is not some sort of abstract principle. Neither is it some impersonal force, but actually it's a person. A person called Jesus Christ. You see, the Greeks, they wanted to to find true meaning in life. Then, Then the idea was you connect with this logos, this kind of stream of consciousness, this thought reasoning. He's like, no, no, if you want to find meaning in life, you need to center your life in Jesus Christ. He put a name, he put a person to what these people were already talking about, were already feeling. 
Very clever. John's saying, look, it doesn't matter what your background is. If you're churched or unchurched, if you have any concept of, of the people of God, if you have any concept of God's word or not, actually the answer is Jesus. Whatever your spiritual heritage, whatever your cultural background, the answer is Jesus. In him, all things are held together. It's a brilliant, brilliant study of how to engage with culture. Paul did it as well in Athens. He connected with the culture and was able to to communicate the truth of who Jesus is in that context. Jesus is the word, the logos. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the, the light of men. It's amazing, isn't it? In the same way that the word of God brought light into the darkness in creation, so that same word, Jesus, brings light into a, a sin-darkened world. Same word, Jesus Christ, bringing light and life. As I said, life is a key theme in John's gospel. Eternal life, everlasting life, abundant life. And, you know, you, you basically need four things for life, don't you? You need water. Jesus said, I give water that's living, living water. Whoever drinks of the water I give will never thirst again. We need water. We also need food. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. <laughs> Whoever eats of me will never grow hungry. We also need air. Air helps. I think it was Job who said, the breath of God gives me life. Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive life. He's the breath of life. We also need light. You know, without the sun's light, nothing could exist. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Amazing. John 8, 12. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. In Jesus, we find life. That's what John's saying. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. But as John goes on, he says that the trouble is when Jesus, this word that became flesh, when he did come, the world rejected him. Verse 10, though the world was made through him, The world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own. That's the people of Israel, people of God. But his own did not receive him. The Jews thought Jesus' claims, as we said, were blasphemous. How do you, a mere man, claim to be God? The whole idea of the crucifixion, a, a, a crucified Savior, a Messiah, just seemed, was a stumbling block. Paul says, stumbling block to them. To the Greeks, on the other hand, they thought that flesh, the thinking of the time was the flesh is sinful. It's evil. We are spirits, pure spirits that live in this kind of evil. Anything that was to do with the flesh was bad. And so to say that this divine being, the Logos, the word became flesh was was foolishness. No, we can't accept that. Foolishness. There was a willful rejection from both Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek. 
despite the witness of John the Baptist, as John describes. We'll be hearing more about him next week as we go further into that. You know, John said, I'm not the light. I'm, I'm a witness to the light. The one who comes after me surpasses me. Why? Because he was there even before me, before the beginning of creation. Despite his witness, there was a willful rejection of the light. Why? Because we needed a complete recreation. Today, we need a recreation to receive Jesus, to receive this light. We need this new birth. John goes into this in more detail in chapter 3. We'll be looking at that in three weeks' time. But the beautiful thing is as well that in the same way that the whole of the Trinity was involved in creation first time around, the whole of the Trinity is involved in this recreation, this new birth. So we've got the God the Father sending the Son. John says in verse 14, this, this word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus had to come in the flesh. Why? Because we couldn't help ourselves. We could not help ourselves. John goes on in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What he's saying is the law was a grace. It was a grace of God. God gave to Moses. It revealed something of God's heart, something of his holiness, something of his justice, his mercy and his love. But you know, it, it pointed us in the way to go, but it, it, it could do nothing to help us get there. It was a grace, but it did nothing to help us get there. That's why we needed Jesus to bring his grace and truth. The grace that he perfectly fulfilled the law that we had no chance in fulfilling. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf. And then on the cross, as we've been singing about this morning, that, that grace upon grace, as he took our sin, all our sin, past, present and future, on himself, on his shoulders, God in human form, paying the penalty for yours and my sin so that we can walk in the light, free, forgiven, accepted. Wonderful truth, isn't it? This is, what, this is what John's describing. Grace and truth. Incredible grace. Undeserved favor. Nothing that we've done. All of God's grace. But we also needed the truth to see our need of him. To see our sin. To see who Jesus really was. We needed grace and truth. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of truth who guides us in all truth. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now at work. And it's the Holy Spirit who comes and opens our eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. He's the one who opens our eyes to our own condition and our need of a saviour. All three members of the Trinity at work in our salvation. The result, verse 12, yet to all who received him, whatever your background Whatever your heritage, whoever you think you are, to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, whose eyes were opened 
to the truth of who Jesus was. He gave the right to become children of God. We can call God our Father. Join heirs with Christ. What a truth. What a truth. God wants to be known through his son, Jesus. He wants to be known. So as John says, we can't see God. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God. He just kicks it in there again. You know, don't forget Jesus is God. The one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side has made him known. Has made him known. Said Jesus said to his disciples, you know, if you'd known me, you'd have known my Father. From now on, you do know him, if you know me, and you have seen him. You want to know God? Get to know Jesus. God's revealed himself to us in many ways. Through creation, we see the glory of God. Through the law he gave to Moses. Through his written words, God reveals himself to us. But ultimately, he's revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, the word that became flesh, God's message to us, full of grace and truth, powerful stuff. Hebrews 1 puts it like this, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In the Greek, it simply says, in son, it's almost like in the language of his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he, all, he create, through whom he also created the world. There we have it again. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God dwelt with his people in human form through Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. That word dwelt actually means to pitch up tent, means to camp. Same word they use for tabernacle in the Old Testament. God has turned up and camped with us. And it's not in this kind of temporary sense. I'm just pitching up here for a while. But actually in the intimate sense. I don't know, who here camped at Ashburnham? There's quite a few of us. Anyone who comes up who camped at Ashburnham? We all know that when you camp together, you get to know each other a lot better. You get to know who snores. You get to know people's morning rituals, whether you want to or not. You get to know what people eat, what their diet is. It's a great thing not to judge. It's wonderful. (laughs) You get to know people really intimately when you camp together. And that's the kind of emphasis that, that God's getting at here. Jesus didn't come and build an ivory tower when he came to earth and say, Whoa, if you want an audience with me, well... You read the Old Testament? No. He came and pitched up tents. He camped. He, he hung out. He experienced life with us. As I said, it's the same word as, that's used for tabernacle. God tabernacled with his people. Again, John's making that connection that God is dwelling with his people again in a very intimate and special way through Jesus. Today, God dwells with his people through the Holy Spirit. Every believer, temple of the Holy Spirit, 
God dwells with his people by the Spirit. I suppose the challenge to us is that as we are continually filled with the Holy Spirit, so we ourselves become messages of this same grace and truth to the world around us. We ourselves get to shine God's light into the darkness. We are not the light like John the Baptist. I'm not the light. I'm, I'm come to witness about the light. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. It's his light that we're shining. It's his light we're shining in the darkness. We bring that message. We carry the word of God with us. Amazing, isn't it? What a privilege. And again, the challenge for us is that like John, we need to know Jesus well. We need to know the word well, intimately, like John did. To know his divinity, to know his sovereignty, to know that in him is light and life. But like John, we also need to know our culture really well. To know how to communicate that grace and truth. Later on, John says, speak the truth in love. We need to know how to connect with our culture in the same way that John used this logos word that connected both Jew and Gentile. It's so helpful if we can understand our culture well enough to be helpful enough to get the message across so that others can behold his glory too. It's amazing. We reveal Jesus as we make him the center of our lives. I'm going to stop there, just looking at the time. But I'd love us if you're able. Can we all stand? If the band could come back. It's been great just to, to focus on, on Jesus in our singing. The whole of Scripture is about Jesus. It's about God's plan of redemption. I'd just love us to, to have the opportunity, just privately, where you stand, in your hearts, to pray, Jesus, be the center of my life. If you know where there's been issues, where there's been things that have got in the way, that have taken your focus off Jesus, if you know that you've been distracted from wholeheartedly pursuing him, then why don't you just confess that to God now? Why don't you just give that to him and ask for his strength and his help to just put those things aside And to say, Lord, all that I am is yours. Just take a moment now. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you as God. We worship you as our Savior. We worship you as our King. 
<laughs> ruling, reigning, sovereign, the one who holds all things together. Lord, whatever we're facing, you're the one who holds all things together. And, and Lord, we, we just are so humbled by your grace. We're so humbled by your truth. We're so humbled by the fact that you've called us to shine your light into the world around us. But Lord, we need you to shine your light again into our lives afresh this morning. Lord, and as you increasingly do that, Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit to radiate that light to the world around us, to those who are confused, to those who are walking in darkness. Lord, to those even this morning in this room, Lord, will you shed your light, shine your light into their hearts again. This morning, reveal Jesus to them, your grace and your truth. Lord, we pray, take center stage in our lives. Amen.